Hey everyone, you're listening to the Respiritualized Podcast, a fresh take on life's biggest questions. I'm Lokaram Das, here today with my co-host Jai Nitai. Today we're talking about drugs. What is a drug? The dictionary defines it as a substance taken for its narcotic or stimulant effects. When we take a drug, we introduce a foreign substance into our body. What's America's favorite drug? Its medical name is trimethylxanthine, a psychoactive drug that stimulates the central nervous system and alters mood and behavior. More than four in five Americans consume this drug on a daily basis. Trimethylxanthine is more commonly referred to by its popular name, caffeine. Whether it's alcohol, nicotine, marijuana, methamphetamines, psilocybin, LSD, the majority of Americans have their own preferred drug of choice. How does such intoxicants impact our spiritual development? Are some drugs able to expand our consciousness? Today we're going to discuss these and other questions and we'll continue the discussion over the next few weeks. Thanks for tuning in. Some people report having had some profound experience by virtue of taking some drug and they will attribute that to some spiritual growth. So then one may ask, um, having heard reports like this, is it, can it not be beneficial for someone to have experienced something like that, though it's not recommended as a spiritual practice within many traditions? Yeah, I've, I personally, when I was, before I got connected with the Hare Krishna movement and the yoga tradition of bhakti, I experimented with different drugs. As a teenager and going into my early 20s, I regularly smoked marijuana. Not as frequently as most of my friends that that were smokers, but occasionally. And I also tried mushrooms a couple times and LSD. And I do think I had some spiritual insights, but these came at a great risk. For instance, when I took LSD, I became extremely psychologically unstable to the point that I almost kind of unintentionally jumped out of a, I didn't actually, but I was really seriously thinking about jumping out of a moving bus. It seemed like a good idea at the time. So these drugs are very risky. They're very dangerous because they have a very powerful influence on our mentality, our Mm -hmm. consciousness. So let's say maybe there is some spiritual benefit, potentially, at least in terms of kind of breaking you out of your current way of thinking and seeing the world. One important question is, is it worth the risk? Mm -hmm. And can I get equally powerful spiritual insights and spiritual experiences without subjecting my mind and my body to these uh, foreign substances that, that are quite dangerous if, mm. if well, regardless of how they're used. Mm. Yeah, there's also like many experiences in life which people have some profound or helpful spiritual realization from. It doesn't necessarily indicate that we should try to recreate a particular experience hoping for that. Exactly, exactly. People often have spiritual breakthroughs 
after a period of prolonged depression mm. when they feel like they hit rock bottom and my life needs to change. Mm. But that doesn't mean we need to create a terrible situation in our life where we feel like we have nothing left and then, oh, now I can practice spirituality. We can actually start practicing from where we're, wherever we're at. Mm. Hopefully it doesn't take immense suffering and uh, what, what some people, people call the dark night of the soul. Mm. Ideally, we wouldn't have to wait for that. We could be smart enough. Mm. Take investing, for example, people who invest money. Often, people are a little bit uh, reckless, risky. I know I've been with money. And it's not until you suffer a big loss that you, sometimes, you realize, wow, I should be more careful about my investing. For instance, the, the current uh, cryptocurrency market is, is in a downward spiral. Some people don't think so, but I think so. One stable coin, it's called the Luna coin, just lost like $15 billion. It went from a dollar per coin, because it was pegged to the US mm -hmm. dollar, Mm. to close to zero dollars per coin in a matter of you know hours or days I don't know exactly how long that crash took but it was just like that people mm. lost they, they thought it was a safe investment mm. because it was pegged to the dollar mm. and then overnight seemingly in a matter of you know short time they lost that investment so after that usually people think I want to be more cautious and mm and careful and responsible about my investing. Mm. So sometimes people need to suffer in order to become more responsible about their life. Mm. They take for granted that their life will go well, and then when they hit turbulence and the things that they are, their comforts and their, their, their sources of pleasure are ripped away from them, then they start to take things more seriously. They inquire more deeply into spirituality. Mm. But we don't have to wait for that. Mm. If we're going to invest money, we can just find uh, an experienced investor, mm. someone who has wealth, and they know how to manage it properly, mm -hmm. and take guidance from them. Mm. And if they're promising, promising us these get-rich-quick schemes, Mm. Oh, just give me a thousand dollars and I'll turn it into a million dollars within two, two, three years. Mm. Then that's a pretty sure sign we shouldn't trust them mm. because they're not operating in terms of reality, how reality works when it comes mm. to investing. So similarly, there's gurus out there who will promise, oh, just you know, do this weekend course. Mm -hmm. Or I'll just give you this mantra and touch your head mm -hmm. and you'll become enlightened. Mm -hmm. But in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna describes a whole process of yoga and it doesn't work like that. Mm -hmm. He doesn't just tap Arjuna on the head. Mm -hmm. He doesn't just say, Arjuna, just give me this amount of money and I'll give you this mantra. Mm -hmm. you know? So drugs are like that. We're looking for a very quick fix, like, mm -hmm. a, like a, a magic potion. Mm -hmm. For enlightenment mm. and so it's not a very realistic expectation it's, we're trying to shortcut something that actually needs to develop and mature over a period of time 
it takes commitment, discipline. Mm. So that brings up two questions I have yeah. regarding that. One is the on the one hand we have someone who may be looking for some profound experience by virtue of drug use or some kind of intoxicant or um, even drugs that are like even in some traditions used to facilitate such experiences. And then also we have, for instance, this example of caffeine where, you know, and even these days, like, um, since marijuana has become more commonly accessible, people are, like, it's almost not considered an intoxicant. Like, it's yeah. just something people do, and they're like, well, what's the problem? It doesn't really, am I really intoxicated by taking caffeine? So what about the other side of the spectrum where it's just sort of like a habit and... Why should I really give it up? Is it really contrary to my spiritual life or my spiritual growth? Is there some what's the what's the nature of these kind of things that make them contrary to um, a general spiritual growth and spiritual practice? Mm. One spiritual teacher, Radhanath Swami, was asked, "How do I know what to eat?" Because even within a yogic diet there's a lot of different kinds of foods you can eat. Mm -hmm. You could find vegetarian donuts mm -hmm. and you could eat a dozen donuts a day and you'd still be within the parameter of a vegetarian diet, a yogic diet. Mm -hmm. But Radhanath Maharaj, Radhanath Swami gave, gave an answer that I really liked. He said, the more you approach a, a lifestyle of goodness, your consciousness comes into what Krishna calls the mode of goodness or sattva mm -hmm. which is associated with clarity of mind satisfaction equanimity these qualities mm -hmm. as you develop these qualities you can intuitively experience d directly which foods and which substances are helpful for you and, and not mm -hmm. for instance when I was in uh, college, my senior year of college, I started waking up earlier, I was meditating more, and I became a vegetarian. Mm. This was before I met any Hare Krishna devotees. Mm. And within just a couple months, I started to notice what caffeine was actually doing to my body and my mind. Mm. And I didn't like it. It was the same feeling, but previously I thought it was good. And then as I elevated my consciousness to a higher state, I realized actually this is not helping me. Mm -hmm. This is making me feel agitated. Mm -hmm. A lot of people have a similar experience. Mm -hmm. Marijuana was, a, was another drug that I stopped using before I begin like a formal practice of yoga because when I would smoke I would just enter into a, a kind of false trance-like state and just stare at the wall mm -hmm. but it wouldn't be an elevated trance like what we hear about in the Bhagavad Gita mm -hmm. what Krishna calls Samadhi mm -hmm. it wasn't Samadhi it was just a stupor mm -hmm. a pot induced stupor Mm -hmm. And my friends would say, hey, hey, Luke, that was my name mm -hmm. before I 
received initiation from my spiritual master. Mm -hmm. Hey Luke, do you want to go outside? I would just stare. <laughs> you know, and finally I realized this isn't that fun. I don't feel good. Mm -hmm. So now I've been a vegetarian for 10 years. I've mm -hmm. been sober for 10 years. I haven't mm -hmm. taken these intoxicants. The thought of smoking marijuana is totally unappealing to me. Mm -hmm. The thought of eating meat is totally unappealing. Mm -hmm. You know, the smell of meat. When I was a kid, it was very pleasant. It smelled very pleasant. Mm -hmm. But now when I smell meat, it just smells bad. Mm -hmm. So this is how our tastes, our, our inclinations change over time as our consciousness ascends through what Krishna calls the modes of nature. Mm. So we already talked about sattva, mm. and below sattva is rajas, or a kind of agitated, passionate mental state where you're always looking ahead into the future what you're going to do next, mm -hmm. instead of finding peace and satisfaction and joy in the present. Mm. And then below rajas is tamas, which is a dark mental state that you are absorbed in the past, what's already happened, what you can't change. And you choose to define your life by that. So different activities, different environments, different foods, everything in life can be organized and understood in terms of these three modes of nature. So Although we may experience some happiness from a drug, most of them fall into the lower two modes of nature, tamas and rajas, or ignorance, depressants, and passion, stimulants. So there is some pleasure there. But what is it doing for us really? What is it actually, how is it actually helping us? So many things in life feel good, but that doesn't make them good. Mm. So we need to be thoughtful and think about our long-term goals. It's like physical health. If I want to be physically healthy, then I shouldn't eat a dozen donuts a day. It's just not going to help me achieve, it's not going to help me achieve my goal. Mm. So similarly, when it comes to spiritual health, what is the lifestyle that will help me achieve my spiritual goals? And that's why on the path of yoga and bhakti yoga specifically, we abstain from these intoxicants. They're just not helpful. Mm -hmm. And everything you can get from them, you can get those same benefits through the direct practice of yoga. You can mm. get the spiritual insights. You can get the spiritual highs. Mm. You can feel content, peaceful. A lot of people take, they, they drink alcohol because they want to de-stress, they want to unwind. They, drink, they take marijuana because they, they want to feel relaxed. Mm. But you can get that through mantra meditation. Mm. You can get that by cultivating these qualities through a yoga practice, and then you feel that way all the time. Mm. you're not dependent on some chemical mm. but you actually feel that way in inside as your new permanent baseline state of consciousness mm. um, 
the other thought that, that came to my mind, which I think is a, a question that comes up, is that there are instances where people are using um, substances which are considered intoxicants, but they're using them medicinally. So someone may have a physical or a mental or an emotional illness, and um, so then therefore these substances are used to help mitigate their illness or recover from something. So um, how can we understand that practice where things that are considered also intoxicants or maybe poisonous to the body, but at the same time are remedying some illness? How does one navigate that? Of course, I mean, of course, it's probably a nuanced question, but it does come up. Yeah, it's a good question. It's a relevant question. And I've seen many people benefit from medical drugs. So when, when a situation calls for it under the advice of a medical practitioner, someone who knows what they're talking about, they're experienced, it's often appropriate to take certain drugs. Caffeine, for instance, is used in a medical context for alleviating serious migraines and other things. So we're not taking a fanatic stance, but whatever we're taking, whatever drugs we're putting into our body, we should know why mm. and for how long will I do this. Mm. Unfortunately, one thing that often happens is drugs are used to treat superficial symptoms of disease, mm. to just kind of manage a disease without actually addressing the underlying causes of disease. And this can cause medical problems. For instance, my wife, after our first child was born, she had a lot of pain because labor is really painful. Mm. And she was taking a high dose of Tylenol, mm -hmm. like a prescription level dose. Mm -hmm. But one side effect was it masked a fever. She actually had a very high fever, but mm -hmm. the Tylenol was reducing that temperature. Mm -hmm. And she had this intuition that I should stop taking this drug because it's making me feel a little bit better, but it's also making me feel a little bit not myself. Mm -hmm. And as soon as she stopped taking that, she realized she had a fever. And we brought her into the hospital, and she had a very serious infection that needed to be treated. Mm -hmm. And if that had gone on for a few more days, if she had kept taking the Tylenol, artificially lowering her body temperature and making her feel like she was okay, the infection could have spread, and she could have died. So... We have to be careful whenever we're taking any drug, regardless of why we're doing it. We have to know that this is going to alter the way that I think and feel, and is the, is the cost outweighed by the benefit or not? Mm. Do I actually medically need this, or do I just want this to feel good? Mm -hmm. And are there other more wholesome ways of feeling good? In the Western medical world, pain management is considered the top goal. Mm -hmm. But in traditional cultures, pain is actually seen as a very, very useful and helpful thing. Mm. 
Because when we feel pain, we're reminded that this material world is a foreign place for the soul. It's not our real home. We don't belong in this material world. As a person's approaching death, we don't want to mask all of their suffering because they'll just want to take birth again and suffer a whole another lifetime worth mm -hmm. of, of, you know, material life. It's not like we wish suffering upon others, but we have to understand that suffering has a very important purpose. So if we're just taking drugs to mask our suffering, what, what does that say about our, our understanding of our position in this world? That the real way to get freed of suffering isn't to take some drug, it's to actually transform our desires and transcend material existence altogether. And you can't get that by any drug. You have to work for it, and that's the practice of yoga. Please see my innermost desire Covered in chain Contained in dust and iron Respiritualize is a weekly podcast with new episodes every Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern. We also host free courses on the science of bhakti yoga and ancient wisdom texts such as the Bhagavad Gita and Srimad Bhagavatam. For more information and to register for a course, visit www.respiritualize.com. If you have questions or comments from today's episode, or if you want to suggest a new topic for us to discuss on Respiritualize, please write to us at respiritualize at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. All right, Krishna. As the dust falls upon the mirror As the baby hides within a womb I'm just praying that my love be born so Please see my innermost desire Covered in bark, collected dust and iron Sorry that when I say your name, I don't cry. What's my love for you if I'm still standing here alive?